Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. Donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. It is Tuesday, just after 6 o'clock. Chris Fedor from Bay Village. Joe Varden, you're in Boston, right? You landed, you're in your hotel, you're all set up to go? I mean, uh, it, it took it took nearly as long to drive in a cab from... Um, Logan to where this hotel is in downtown oh. as it did to fly from Detroit to Boston. It, it was outrageous. Out, outrageous. What's going on in Boston? Is it always like that at this time of night? I, I mean, I've been here a hundred times. You've been here several times. Yeah. I, I've never, I like, like you could see how that tunnel, you could see how there would be problems, but I've never seen it like and I've come in at all hours of the day. I've never seen anything like this. Just sat there for an hour, just uh, not, not, not happy about it. I guess people are pumped up about uh, Game 5 at the TD Garden tomorrow, right? And that's got to be it. I guess so. I mean, it's just um, it's so weird. Uh, I don't know why this caught me off guard, but it did. Just to get here and then see like, that all the headlines are reversed. Um, you know, <laughs> you know that loss, loss is in all the headlines. Yeah, uh, and I just every time I've done a double take, like, wait a minute, the Cavs. Won- oh, that's right, we're not in Cleveland anymore. <laughs> it is interesting though how there are so many twists and turns throughout the course of a series. I think Kyle Korver has talked about it. He used the term dramatic. Like everything when it comes to a playoff series is dramatic. You win two games and you feel like okay, that team is going to win, that team can't possibly lose. Then the team comes back home, play better at home. In this case, it's the Cavs. All of a sudden, they're in the driver's seat. They're unstoppable. They have found something. I just always get fascinated, Joe, by by the twists and turns and I guess I can say overreactions when it comes to playoff basketball. Yeah. Um, you know I mean the thing like Chris Paul said it um, the other day and then uh, Jason Lloyd was trying to get Ty to bite on this last night 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I believe it that when you're in a playoff series um, and, and the team, you know, uh, if you're a member of this team, then you would say if your team wins a game, you know, that that team feels like you're never going to lose again. And then mm-hmm. the second that team loses, they feel like they're never going to win again. Um, I, I feel like these playoffs have reinforced how untrue that is mm. um, and that there is no such thing as momentum from game to game. Um, you know, we've talked, we've written, we've talked about this a little. Um, I, I do think that the Cavs found something in game two that the Celtics may not be able to recover from. So, you could say that's momentum, but I think really that's more about just digging into the series and finding the button that you that you can push that like kind of like the nuclear option or, or whatever. Like you find that one button that you can push that can kind of change the series. Mm-hmm. And I think the Cavs I think the Cavs have done that. But they were so careless with the ball the other night, um, that you go into this game five wondering. I mean, yeah. yeah, they've won two in a row. Yeah, they're playing good defense. But if they turn it over 19 times tomorrow night, they're not going to win. And then all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball again for the Cavs. So you're right. It, the postseason is ripe for, for overreaction, uh, overanalysis. Um, you know, I think more people need to – especially because this happens every year. It, it would be nice if, if, if people just kind of <laughs> enjoyed – the uh and, and enjoyed each game and each series for for what it, what it is the nuke button that you're talking about do you feel like that's tristan thompson against al horford is that what you're referring yeah, to yeah and as you well know well know um it's more it's more nuanced than that right like, yes like tristan doing what he does on horford has like a bunch of ans- ancillary effects that like you know, it, it means a switch of who LeBron guards and then how LeBron guards Jalen Brown, especially early, like that matters. And like getting into Tris- getting into Horford out near the top, like that prevents Boston from some of its movement and that sort of thing. But like, so yeah, I, I think that's it. Like it reminds me of um, the 2015 finals when – the Cavs were actually ahead. They were on their way to a 2-1 lead in that series, and they were just, you know, knocking the Warriors all over the floor in game three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and during that game, Steve Kerr went to David Lee. Yep. That was it. That was it. The, the Cavs never recovered. They lost the next, the next uh, three games, um, and that was it. That changed the series. And, you know, it, like – the, the the revelation happened at a different point and there was a different um, – things kind of went a little differently. But Ty went to Tristan in game two, and um, that was a highly effective plan until they totally lost their minds in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and otherwise, you know, they, they have done a, a pretty good job with keeping Horford in check. And, you know, it's, it, 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 it's worth, like – mentioning again one of the reasons why this works chris is because they don't have kyrie irving yes right they don't have kyrie they don't have gordon hayward so almost all of like like the guys that just can go make plays by themselves when everything else breaks down like they don't really have that so 
they need this guy, this this dynamic center forward in, in Horford who can kind of do what he does, use his size and his speed and his screening ability to get everybody else open. And the way the Cavs have bothered him, um, it, you know, it's it's really affected the Celtics and the series. Yeah, and I think there are a few things. Like you said, it's a nuanced thing. Um, I do think there are a lot of layers to it. And Tristan's been terrific, and he's tough, and he's physical, and he's such a threat when it comes to offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding. And his history against Al Horford is well-documented, and he's the kind of player that gives Horford problems. You know, Joe, we talked about throughout the course of the playoffs, there are certain players that give Kevin Love problems. And we mentioned Thaddeus Young in round one and Draymond Green if they get to the NBA Finals, and who knows, maybe P.J. Tucker if the Golden State Warriors collapse and the Rockets come from behind or whatever. But they're just certain matchups that aren't favorable for Kevin. And I feel like Al Horford's the same kind of thing. Everybody's got their kryptonite. Everybody's got their nemesis. And for Al Horford, it's a guy like Tristan. Nonstop hustle, isn't going to back down, won't be intimidated, tough, physical, also athletic enough to keep up with Horford, an advantage he usually has. So yes, Tristan's been terrific and it was a great move. I don't know if it's so much how good Tristan has been or if it's more get Kevin Love the hell off of Al Horford because every time Al Horford has the matchup against Kevin, like his eyes light up and he starts to salivate. So the fact that the Cavs don't have to use Kevin on Horford and they don't need Kevin to be the last line of defense and it can be Tristan, I think the domino effect of that move has been so, so, so important for the Cavs in this series. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that's really good. Um, it, I, and you just saw it in game one. I mean, Horford just ate him alive. Oh, um, he's 9 of 11 Well, going into last night's game, and he got a couple of other buckets against Kevin. But going into last night's game, Horford was 9 of 11 from the field when guarded by Kevin Love. Like, that's just eating. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned that, that he get, he had a couple more last night. Like, we were, you know, aghast in the third quarter when the Cavs were allowing the switch. And almost, it wasn't even a case of switching on a screen or something like that. It was almost like that's how the Cavs were matching up coming down the floor. And they yeah. just, like, I understand sometimes you get crossed up when, when you start on one side of the court and your guys on the other. But um, they've got to do a really good job tomorrow night of staying disciplined on that one matchup um it it is the matchup that swings the series yeah and I think we came into this series saying like that might be the one to monitor close because Kevin's the number two option Al Horford um LeBron James called him Boston's rock um I think it was Ty Lue who spoke glowingly about Horford and what he meant and his versatility offensively and defensively for Boston uh, Kevin Love called Al Horford the hub of the Boston offense. He was the veteran guy to help uh, combat some of the uh, young inconsistencies of Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum. So, yeah, I think we felt like that going into the series. And in a way, it has kind of played itself out like that. There's no doubt about that. Do you think there's anything, though, that Boston can do uh, to counter that move of putting Tristan on Horford. And it's not just putting him on Horford. Like, Ty went to the Channing Fry Golden State Warriors philosophy. Remember a couple of years ago 
when Golden State had Harrison Barnes, Joe, and every time Channing Fry came into the game, Steve Kerr signaled over for Harrison Barnes and forced Channing Fry off the court. Last night, it was every single time Horford stepped onto the court, Ty was signaling for Tristan Thompson to get out there like a yo-yo. So is there anything you think that the Celtics can do to combat that? No, I, I don't really think so. Um, I, I thought that the, um, I thought the closest thing they had to an answer would be Ojale, um, because that is the carrot. Um, okay. They, the Cavs want Kyle Korver to play against Ojale. Right. Um, and so if Ojale is out there for an extended amount of time, um, I thought I, f- I feel like that would be the Celtics' best chance to to lure Ty into this, um, because then obviously Kyle's got to take the place of somebody, and you're not going to take Jr. off the floor, and you're not going to take. Uh, I mean, I suppose you could play LeBron at the point in these situations. Um, so I guess that would be one thing to consider, mm-hmm. uh, and go with the lineup of LeBron, Jr., Corver, Kevin, and and. Uh, and Tristan. So I guess, I, I guess that's it. Um, I, I guess that would be the counter to that, but, but otherwise, I mean, they've, they've shown it like they're going to allow Baines to do whatever it is that he's going to do. And last night it wasn't much. Um, and you know, otherwise like the Celtics are counting on Marcus Morris to play better, which, um, I thought he got off to a really good start and then, and then struggled. Uh, down the stretch, obviously. Um, and they just, I think they, after some initial smoke about, well, the, the way the Cavs are playing, we're going to have to change up. And then they didn't really change anything up. So um, that was their that was their idea for game four was just to play better. Uh, and that didn't work. The Wine and Gold Talk podcast, Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We are there. We've got all of the past episodes that we've done previewing the series, going back to Indiana in round one, Toronto, all of the stuff that we have done throughout the course of the regular season and the playoffs is right there on our iTunes page, Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Give us a like, subscribe to the podcast. We'll get into your questions. We've got a bunch of those that have come in on Twitter throughout the course of this afternoon. So we will get into those, but uh, may I interrupt? uh, Yeah, go ahead. Take this um, yet another opportunity to show my ignorance. Um, Are you're talking about iTunes? Um, (laughs) Is there, is there anywhere else where someone could find this podcast? Yes, of course. So it's not just on iTunes. No, it's not just on iTunes. Okay. It will be up on cleveland.com. Okay. Um, it'll have a separate post. We'll come up with a headline for it. Uh, okay. Whatever we feel like is, is the main topic from the podcast. Well, the headline is definitely like careening towards Joe Show's ignorance on Cavs podcast. <laughs> this, but, this is true. Uh, so, okay. So, all right. So, if somebody is on cleveland.com, yeah. they, can, they can actually click on our podcast right there and listen to it. Yes, have you never once? No, why would I do that? Why would I listen to why would I listen to our podcast? That's insane. Are you serious? Yeah, why would I why would I click on our podcast? To evaluate yourself and your own performance? Well that's easy. F, move on. <laughs> well, the other thing that you could do, and I've never brought this up to you, although I've thought it for a couple of months, 
just hasn't been the right time to bring it up. You could, you know, promote our podcast on social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, whatever else you do with all of your other posts. You could promote our podcast by, well, by linking to it. Okay, but I mean, if you think about the history of our podcast, like there's been times where I've been stuffing my face full of seeds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like times where like I'm being interrupted on text. Uh, times Sitting where, on the beach in Miami with a wind tunnel. With the wind tunnel. I mean, the Indians have done like untold damage to my focus during some of these things. Um, various <laughs> NFL games. And so the bottom line is like, my performance in these podcasts is so seldomly good that, that you know, by and large, it doesn't normally do me um, any favors to, to go out and, and promote it. So if I pick up the pace tonight uh, and if I match your effort uh, and, and uh, you know, and just sort of performance, um, then perhaps I may tweet it. But, you know, if I'm going to go Marcus Smart 2 of 9 – you know, on these podcasts, I mean, I'm not going to like turn around and tell everyone to come back and listen to, you know, watch that. Like Mar- Marcus isn't, Marcus didn't fly home last night and get <laughs> thing around and say, Hey, why don't we all get together and rewatch game four? It was really sweet. I was awesome. That's a valid point. You see what I mean? Yeah, sure. I understand where you're coming from on that one. Uh, are you aware of what Google play is? Um, I know it exists. Okay, they can also find the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on Google Play. So you can tell your friends and your family members that if they don't have iTunes and they don't want to go to cleveland.com for some reason, they can find us on Google Play. You know, we actually, there are are dozens, I would say, Mm. of, of very loyal listeners to this podcast. I agree. Who, who are very excited about it and, and appreciate the insight, which um, is, is great. Um, you know, I think they can probably do better, but, but uh, you know, so, so we really appreciate that. And um, we appreciate them sifting through all my ums and ahs and, and, and that. And, and I will, uh, you know, that's not entirely fair. I have, I have promoted this podcast uh, on occasion and certainly I talk about it. Okay. You know, okay. Friends. Word of mouth is very important. It is. Okay. Who do you talk about it with? Oh, you know, I with um, uh, with with friends and with uh, you know our various colleagues. Um, okay. a, a good a good friend of mine. Yep. Uh, somebody um, who you know we used to work on different. In, in different realms of the political sphere, he's still there. Justin, uh, if you're listening, he's, he, I, we speak often. He's, he, uh, he's a, a big fan of yours and, and mine. And, and it's, it's very nice. And I know we've got a couple of little listeners there on, on Twitter. So, you know, so th- this is all like th- the basic thing was, I didn't know if, if the podcast was only on iTunes and I thought it was funny you were telling people you can find it there when that's probably where they found it to begin with. But you're yep. telling me they can find it on our website and on Google Play. Yep. Maybe in the future it'll be somewhere else. I don't know. Like my Twitter feed. Like your Twitter feed. That would be nice. Or maybe that your Facebook nice. if you actually uh, go on Facebook. I don't know if you do. Do you? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm friends with your wife. I don't know about you. I think <laughs> I'm, no, I'm friends with you. Yeah. I always feel funny 
um, about sending invites to people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You know, it's also funny since we're discussing this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I loved and still do uh, our, our old partner, Chris Haynes. Yes. I, I mean, just one of the, you know, one of my favorite people. Um, but still not Facebook friends with him and, and couldn't do it when we were working together. Just couldn't, couldn't send the invite. Don't know why. Just, uh, just never did it. You know, and I, you always get that little icon where it says, um, you know, you, you know, this person, maybe you should be friends with this person right. Right. and just never hit the button. Yeah. Never did. See, I'm the same on Twitter, right? It's, I've worked with a lot of people for so long, but, but for a while on Twitter, I was the guy who was like, um, don't fill up my timeline. I'm going to be really, really picky about who I follow because I don't want to start following 500, 600, 700 people. I like it to be really, really intimate and not bunch of tweets from a bunch of different people. You know, so now we've gotten to the point where I've worked with, and I don't want to say names, but I've worked with a number of these people for so many years that I feel like it would be really, really bad form to start following them now. Because once it pops up, they're going to see the notification, you know, Chris Fedor is following you on Twitter, and it's been a year and a half, two years, two and a half years. I feel like that makes me look really, really bad. And there's no explanation that I have that is going to make somebody understanding of, of me not following them until now, after working with them for a while. You would be a terrible spy. A terrible spy? A terrible spy. This okay. is this is an easy. You can easily explain this away. How? Well, you have to lie, but lie. <laughs> Jeez. Right, but what is the lie in this situation? Oh, well, actually, uh, Twitter, Twitter unfollowed you without me actually requesting that, and now I have to follow you back. Yeah, you could say that. Twitter reset all of the people that I follow, and I have to go in and refollow everybody. Yeah, I've heard that one. Oh my um, you know, the other thing you could do, you could just say, I mean, you just roll up your sleeves and say, listen, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. You know, sorry. Okay. What's All the right. big deal? Well, I don't know if it's a big deal or not. I feel like I don't want to know if it's going to come across the wrong way. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Like, I'm hoping and you should hope that they, these, these people, these are people you're about to aggrieve when they find out that you're not following them. Yeah. Um, that they have bigger fish to fry in their lives. That's true. That's what I'm saying. Okay. That's a good point. Before we get into questions. Yes. I have a little rant. Um, I, I feel like sometimes in the postseason, Joe, we evaluate teams independent of what actually happens, right? Sometimes we just look at the result and then we make declarations based on that. When the Cavs swept the Toronto Raptors, so many people were like, wow, the Cavs have hit their peak. Now these are the Cavs that we always expected to see. They've got chemistry. Um, they're going to be unstoppable moving forward. They found something offensively and defensively. And I think too many people ignored the, the role that Toronto played in the Cavs getting a sweep in that particular series, whether it was the matchup being in Cavs' favor whether it was what happened in game one and um, Toronto not being able to recover from that 
whether it was a mental hurdle that Toronto was never able to clear in that particular series, and it was always going to be something that hovered over that series. Um, I just feel like too many people made that series about Cavs are back, Cavs have figured it out, rather than about Toronto. And I guess what I'm getting at is, coming into this series, I feel like a lot of people believed that the Celtics would struggle on the road, right? Even when it was 2-0 Boston, coming back to Cleveland, a lot of people were like, well, wait a minute. Boston's only won one game away from TD Garden in the postseason. Look at their numbers offensively and defensively, home versus road. Look at Terry Rozier, home versus road. Mm -hmm. And the specter of Boston going to Cleveland and leaving the friendly confines of the TD Garden was something that a lot of people latched onto, and rightfully so. So if, if that played a role, if, if that's what you believed going into game three, and it played in, into your thinking that the Cavs would even up the series and go back to Boston 2-2, shouldn't Boston's road issues be factored into the view of how games three and four went? Yeah, I, I think so, except um, a 30-point beating is, is outside of the curve. Okay, right? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Maybe it's more game four then. You know, what happened in game four? To me, what happened in game four is Boston got off to a horrible start on the road again because they have a propensity to do that sort of thing. And they just, it was too big of a hole for them to crawl out of, despite the fact that it seemed like they found their footing in quarter two and three and four, and they won the final three quarters. Now, that wasn't independent of the Cavs turning the ball over the Cavs missing a whole bunch of shots in the second half, the Cavs not playing their A game in the second half. But but again, like if you look at the final score, 111-102, and the Cavs win two games at home in a row, I guess you could have this false sense of, okay, we know who the Cavs are now. The Cavs have figured it out. They have found themselves. And I just don't think that's the truth of what has happened in this series to this point. I feel like I, Joe, have the same questions about the Cavs and the Celtics right now, um, the same ones that I did coming into this series. Well. Is that fair? Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think so. I, I, I don't think I, – I think the Cavs hmm, – what I was going to say, but then I don't quite have all the numbers in front of me, so I don't want to say something stupid. I've already done that for the last 10 minutes. Uh, I was going to say I felt like the Cavs played better at home than the Celtics played be- played at their home. I felt like – I was mm. going to say I thought the, the Cavs were better in three and four than the Celtics were in one and two. Okay. And, and I guess my evidence would be um, the Celtics have actually turned it over uh, quite a bit in three of these four games, whereas the Cavs just can't stop – They've done it in all four. But, but, so, but so the Celtics had a bad night turning it over um, one time at their place. And they also trailed by 11 um, in the first half at, at their place. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Cavs had no issues at their house. And, you know, the closest Boston got last night was seven. Um, so so I, guess, I guess you can make that argument. I think but – I, but I, so I see what you're saying, but – um, by, and, and this is any team, not name the Warriors, that does this, when you, when you allow 
the Cavs to, to when you when you when you can't find a way to to take a game in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Now you're setting yourself up for something that 30 teams in a row got hit with. And right. and by the way, it's it's 32 out of the last 33. Mm-hmm. And that's that LeBron gets a game on you on the road. And now now the Celtics are vulnerable to that. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think that's what, like, when we were talking, talking off air, like, I think right now, like, yes, I understand that the Celtics have two games at home where they have not lost this year. The Cavs are not as good as they once were. Um, so that's why you would say, well, the Celtics are still in the best spot here. But I, I don't think so. I think the Celtics are in trouble um, just because they have opened themselves up to something that LeBron does all the time. You know, if if we agree that the Celtics are too young and too injured and too just fundamentally flawed to win a game in Cleveland, sure. Then and maybe that's unfair, but but they certainly didn't do anything to prove us wrong, to prove that point wrong um, over these these last two. If that's true, uh, then they are in real danger just because LeBron is so good that if he can, if the rest of his teammates can show some of the discipline or most of the discipline that they showed at home, um, then he's good enough to go in there and, and get a game. I mean, he's done it mm-hmm. time and again throughout his career there. So I think that is true more than anything. I mean, I think, you know, there's only four teams left. We know, like you said, we know what's wrong with, with all the teams. We know that the Warriors have by far the least wrong with them. Um, and we know, you know, that it's like the, the stuff we saw against the Raptors is not going to translate in the next series. It doesn't even – it barely trans, like, translates in this series. So I, I definitely agree with you. I just think, you know, the fatal, the fatal mistake that the Celtics made was um, – not just not finding a way to get one of these games in Cleveland because now they have put themselves um, in about as uncomfortable as a position as you can be with three games left in the series. All right. Uh, you ready for questions? Yeah. Okay. Uh, first, before we get into the question, I'm curious from you, uh, this sometimes brings the listeners behind the curtain a little bit. You were talking about your flight to Boston. What is your flight like? Are you a writer on the plane? Do you sleep on the plane? Do you listen to music on the plane? Do you watch TV? Do you always have movies loaded onto your laptop? You travel all the time. So how do you get by when, when it comes to all these flights? Wow. I mean, that's an incredible, um, that's inc- that's an incredible lead-in because on this flight, you know, I flew to Detroit through Delta because if you're going to if if you're going to take a flight that connects and you're flying out of Cleveland, you should fly Delta and you should fly through Detroit because that is by far the easiest airport to connect in. Sure. The flight there is no time at all. It's easy to get around. Whatever. All right. So I get on the plane to fly here from Detroit and uh, I opened up my laptop to write um, the Kevin Love Jeff Green story. Uh, I had. Um, the Delta movie, um, you know, they, they Delta offers movies and I had the movie I, I picked was, uh, Pearl Jam, Let's Play 2, 
um, which of course is music and it's also a movie, which I listened to while I wrote. Um, and because we had some technical issues with the plane, I was able to file the story before we were wheels up. And once we got into the air, um, the wireless never worked again. And after about 15 <laughs> minutes of getting it to try to work, I gave up um, and, and fell asleep because I took the window seat. Okay. Uh, which I slept very comfortably. Um, I typically, like on the vast majority of my flights this year, I have taken uh, the aisle seat so I can get up and pee whenever I want. Oh. Um, and I, I'm not usually a sleeper on these flights unless it was a late night, um, which we often have on, in this job. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm not usually a sleeper. Lately, I've been sleeping more and I've been taking more window seats because of that. Huh. Um, so, you know, I mean, it depends on the flight. Um, it's like, it's you, when you do this so much, like you get used to talking about it and you're talking about it with people who are doing the same thing. So that I'm right. sure stuff that I'm like leaving out that people are interested in, but, but, you know, the, but basically, um, I, I, uh, if, if the entertainment is at all available, I try to try to use it. Um, if there's work to be done, I'll do it. Um, you know, sleep is more of like, if I've got nothing else to do mm. uh, for a while, I listen to podcasts. I like to read the New York times app is, um, you don't need to be online for that thing to work. Like oh, nice. I've already uploaded the stories. Um, so, you know, for, for any flight that's under two hours, you can sit there and read all the stories that were uploaded and not run out and be great. Wow. See, I've got so many issues in my life. I, I can't read um, in a car or on a plane. I get a headache. I get dizzy. I get sick. I can barely stay awake on planes, to be honest with you, Joe. I have to take a Dramamine before every single flight. Okay. I don't travel as much as you, but I do travel a lot, and I've traveled to the NBA Finals and things like that. I almost physically can't stay awake because I get so exhausted. Wow. Um, from flying and I get so sick when I'm awake from flying that if I'm up it's for the takeoff only or maybe because I have to go to the bathroom or maybe because I want a diet coke or something like that but I physically can't stay awake uh for a plane trip it's it's like it knocks me out it's kind of like the effect that NyQuil has on me. Every time I get in the plane, I just, I lose all of my energy and I'm so fatigued and I just crash. I couldn't even try and write on a plane. If somebody said, Chris, you have a deadline to make, you have to write something, uh, you have to do it on a plane. Like, I physically don't think I could do it. I mean, that, uh, that, that would... That would be impactful. <laughs> uh, you know, I, like on the morning, like I flew out to, I got on the plane in Cleveland um, on All-Star Friday morning. It was like 7 a.m. Cleveland time. And uh, I think I slept for like, like 12 minutes. And as soon as we were up in the air, I woke up, opened up my laptop and wrote uh, 1,400 words. Oh. Oh my gosh. From scratch. Oh. Um, about all of the crazy stuff that had happened, how Kobe and LeBron and Ty um, all put together the roster and it was mismatched. And then, like, here's what they've done to try to fix it. Wow. But that whole thing, it was done and filed and on the, on the web before we touched down in LA. 
oh my gosh. I am so jealous. I wish I could do that. It would be awesome if I could do that. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I like the, the being able to sleep like you do it is good because it makes it, it makes stuff go fast. Right. right. Um, so, you know, you just, I mean, you just find ways to, to pass time. I mean, that, the Pearl Jam movie was awesome, except oh. for the end when the Indians lose. Um, that's not the best. But, okay. but, you know, I mean, I've seen the, the movie about the billboards. I saw that one on the plane. Um, they, they have Black Panther on there now, so I'll probably watch that. Are you a drinker on the plane to settle the nerves? No, not to settle the nerves. No, I, I mean, like, you Except are. because you want to drink. Um, well, yeah, but, but, but that, that is very, like, I mean, you know, we like to go out and have a good time, but I drink. I don't drink that much on the plane uh, in okay. terms of like, like actually doing it at, at all. Um, yeah. I it, mean, I know people who have to, otherwise they, they can't fly. They get too scared. Right. 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 Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, I can see that, you know, um, I, I think that, uh, I mean, drinking on the plane can be fun. Uh, I will, I will say that. But then you're then you're tired, you know. You're tired by the time you land and wherever you're landing. So, you know, you need to have that energy. All right. So the questions they came in on Twitter um, all afternoon. This one comes from Sir Franks and Bacon, who is Greg Brinda. He is yes. a radio host on WTAM, a legend of the uh, the radio scene here in Cleveland. He wants to know: Could Kevin Love be a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield? No. 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 Not mobile enough? Not anything enough. Next. Okay. Jordan. Jordan wants to know, which Cavs player other than LeBron is most important to their success in game five on the road? Ooh, I like that question. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess if, if, if the, the first 15 minutes this, of this podcast are true – Right. And I guess the answer is Tristan. Yeah. Um, I think you can make an argument for that. There's no doubt about that. I also think Kyle Korver has a case to be made. They're eight and one now in the postseason when he reaches double figures in scoring. Um, I think their only loss was game two against Boston when he has reached double figures. And if you uh, extrapolate it out to the regular season, they're 30 and nine when Kyle Korver reaches double figures. So he's quite a barometer for their success. Plus, in the postseason so far, Joe, they are undefeated when shooting 34% or better from three-point range, and he is a guy who is um, very responsible for that percentage being what it was in the last two games against the Celtics. So, Where'd you, where'd you get those numbers? Off the top of my head. I, I did those numbers last night. Oh, okay. I read your story. I must have missed those numbers. You definitely did, but that's okay. I, def- I definitely read it. Well, I appreciate that. Did you promote it? <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, after, right after the podcast. Yeah. Joe Cavs, he tweets at us. He wants to know, I know it's looking way ahead, but will Ty have to start Jeff Green in a Warrior series? Who the heck will guard Kevin Durant? Because I don't think putting LeBron on him from the jump is the way to go. Yeah, I saw that question, and I just wanted to find whoever wrote it and just smack him on the wrist. 
like you can't you can't be talking about that series right now. Nope, not um, yet. You just can't because like while I, while I believe the Cavs are in a good spot here, this whole thing can turn, and yes. you, you can't. You just can't. You cannot talk about the Warriors. I've got news for you. It's not going to go well anyway. Um, so, so enjoy the hell out of this Eastern Conference Finals and, uh, you know, just soak it in for what it's worth because uh, the task that, that wait, um, if they're fortunate enough to even get there, is probably too much. But you're right. A series can change so quickly, and our perception of, of what happened in a game sometimes gets lost, you know, like last night, and I know this is stuff that happens throughout the course of a game, but last night, Boston missed 15 combined layups and dunks. Yeah. 15. They make five, and that's not a great percentage. It's not unheard of to make five of those 15 if you replay some of those shots. Yeah. And the Cavs had a role in it because of their defense and their rim protection and things like that. They make five, they win the game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think about things like that. Like the Cavs, if the Cavs don't go 3 of 17 in the second half of game two against Boston from three-point range, they probably win that game too. If they don't commit a foul on Al Horford when it was a six-point game and it seemed like the Cavs were putting a lot of pressure on the Celtics, who knows? So sometimes these things look lopsided and they look like double-digit outcomes or close to it but it's really not as much. In four games, the margin so far is Cavs plus one. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think it's fascinating to think about how, how series can change um, in things that sometimes are unexpected. So I'm with you. I'm not ready to look ahead to the Golden State Warriors yet. Speaking of Jeff Green, Jack wants to know, why does Jeff Green still get minutes from Ty Lue? Well, I, I mean – I don't know, Chris, if you think about, like, who, who are the guys that fans love to beat up on? I mean, number one is Ty. Right. Um, I think number two was Tristan. But, of course, now everybody loves him. Um, and then I think Jeff Green was way up there in terms mm-hmm. of guys that everybody likes to beat up on. I, I, I think that Jeff Green has served his role and served it well for most of this year. He's had very different roles. Um, They've used him everything from guarding point guards like James Harden to starting him at center. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. You know, so he's that versatile. Um, he's shown to be uh, really good pairing with LeBron, like kind of when they decide to run in the open floor, there's not a whole lot of running in the playoffs, but they've been good together like that. And Jeff, um, you know, ha- has actually shown to be able to get hot from three point range. Now, we all roll our eyes when he starts chucking those threes, and I'm as guilty as anybody, but he's had a couple of really hot streaks that way. So he's versatile. He can defend all five spots. He can score. I, I think it's a no-brainer. You play him. Um, all these guys are entitled to bad games, and, you know, he hasn't been great in, in this series. Um, he He was really good against the Raptors, and he got it together as the series went along against the Pacers. So – um, I'm definitely on the side of having patience with him and, and sticking with him because he's he can do things that a lot of their guys can't. And that's what Ty said today on the conference call. He said, look, Kevin Love got in foul trouble, and we were able to go to Jeff Green. J.R. Smith got in foul trouble, and we were able to go to Jeff Green. Like, it's rare that you have a versatile piece like that 
who can guard Jason Tatum, but also fill in for Kevin Love when he gets in foul trouble. And again, Jeff Green's not perfect, and he's got his flaws, and I think they have shown up a lot throughout the course of the postseason. That's why he's a role player. That's why he's a guy who signed for the veterans minimum this offseason. Um, but that versatility and the defensive intensity and energy that he brings is something that this team really does need. Um, so I know that he can be frustrating offensively, uh, but there are valuable things that he brings to the table uh, that nobody else on this roster really can. Like, without Jeff Green, who do they go to when Kevin Love got in fall trouble last night? No doubt. I, I think that's exactly right, especially as they've shown to have, you know, I mean, they just can't, they can't really count on Jordan and, and Rodney right, right. now. Um, so it, it is imperative that you play Jeff Green. Yeah. Like, you, got no other ch- you got no other choice. The last question, uh, somebody wants to know if this is time for Jose Calderon now that Jordan Clarkson uh, continues to struggle and he got booted from the rotation in the second half last night. So what's the question? Jose Calderon. No. No. No, I, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they've shown any, any, any hint of that. And, um, uh, you know, the, the Celtics are so physical. I, I, I just I don't, I don't think that's what they're going to do. All right, buddy. Enjoy the night in Boston, whatever it uh, has in store for you. That's right. Well, you know, stayed, stayed sober on the plane, so only the Lord knows. <laughs> and uh, don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, Wine and Gold Talk Podcast. You can find us on Google Play. You can also find us online, cleveland.com. Give us a subscribe on iTunes. Give us a like, rate us, all of the above. All right, and Joe. All right, yes. see, I'm going to hold you to that. We'll, well see. That's, that's happening. Right. That's happening.